Hey, it's Rick Kettner here. And in this episode, we're gonna go through the five books that I completed in February, 2022. I'm gonna talk a little bit about why I chose them and what you can expect to get out of them. That way you can make a decision as to whether or not they may be interesting and relevant to you. Now, this is the second consecutive month where I'm going through the complete list of the books that I read over the course of the previous month. And once again, I'd like to invite you to consider participating by posting a comment down below where you talk about any books that you recently enjoyed. Please include the titles, the authors, and maybe a brief description about what you enjoyed most about the books. That way, for myself and for other members of the community, we have an extra opportunity to discover some interesting books. But with that said, let's dive straight into the list, beginning with book number one, The Founders, the story of PayPal and the entrepreneurs who shaped Silicon Valley by Jimmy Sony. Now, if you follow the tech industry at all, odds are very high that you are familiar with names like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman, Chad Hurley, Russell Simmons, and perhaps several of the other 20-plus members of what has become known as the PayPal Mafia. Members of this group have gone on to found or play a key role in major technology firms including Tesla, YouTube, Palantir, LinkedIn, Kiva, Yelp, SpaceX, Yammer, and several others. And the reason why they have become known as the PayPal Mafia is because all of these important tech leaders got their start at PayPal, the email money transfer service that was originally founded in the late 90s. They were eventually acquired by eBay in 2002 and then once again became an independent company more recently in 2015. And this book tells the story of the origins of PayPal and how all of these important technology leaders got their start in that organization and the many lessons and insights and challenges that they faced along the way. In fact, at the very beginning, PayPal was actually two separate companies. There was X.com, founded by Elon Musk, and then there was Confinity, led by Peter Thiel and others. And these two companies ended up being major rivals with each other and then actually joined forces to avoid kind of taking each other out. So instead, they combined their efforts and became one company. And of course, there were many, many challenges along the way, as you can imagine, when you have two rival businesses effectively merge into one. So if, like myself, you enjoy reading about practical examples of real-world businesses applying different insights and different lessons and facing real challenges and unknown threats along the way and having to deal with various circumstances, then I highly recommend that you consider picking up a copy of The Founders by Jimmy Sony. Next up, we have Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order, Why Nations Succeed and Fail, by Ray Dalio. Now, in my last month's video update, I mentioned that I read The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. And among many other takeaways, one important insight that I got from that book was a key reminder of the fragility of our economic systems, whether you're based in the United States or in Canada like myself, or maybe in Europe or anywhere else in the world, our economic systems are pretty fragile, and there's this growing sense that we're long overdue for a recession or a reset of some kind with mounting debts and things like that. So as I mentioned in my last update, I was going to continue to read on the subject, and that's why I chose to read Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Now, 
I had actually recently skimmed some of the content from this book. A brother of mine had sent me a link where Ray had actually published the entire pre-release contents of this book on a website, presumably to start gathering feedback from potential readers about the overall flow and structure. And at that time, I had read through the first three or four chapters and skimmed a little bit beyond that, waiting for the final book to come out. So with all that said, I had a rough sense of what to expect from this book, and I knew that it would indeed be relevant to having just finished completing The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, Ray Dalio is a legendary billionaire investor. He's the founder of Bridgewater Associates, a very successful investment firm, one of the largest, if not the largest, hedge fund manager. And he's just a really genuine person. I've read one of his other previous books, Principles, a fantastic book that I highly recommend for organizations that want to have more of what he describes as an idea meritocracy, where you gather more useful input from your team and everybody's really judged on their merit and the the merit that they bring to the table in terms of their specialization and their skills. But in this particular book, what he's really focused on is understanding why nations succeed and why they fail. And to unlock that really deeply, he focuses on the leading empires of the world throughout history. So for example, he goes back to the Netherlands when they were the dominant kind of global superpower, and then eventually they were overtaken by the United Kingdom, and then eventually the United Kingdom was overtaken by the United States. And then projecting out into the future, there's this growing sense that China is almost certainly going to become the next global superpower. And he looks at this through the lens of what causes nations to become more successful and then what causes their eventual decline. And he looks at a number of factors, including growing debt and inflation, and even factors like the education of the population. And those kinds of things can kind of be leading indicators for whether or not a nation is on the right track to continue succeeding or perhaps to start to decline. Now, along the way, of course, he dives into some economic theory and he talks a little bit about the decisions that central governments make and how they manage monetary policy and that sort of thing. And there is this growing sense, again, as I hinted at earlier, that we are long overdue for some kind of a recession or a correction, and central governments are going to have to find a way to manage this and to try to curb some of this inflation in a way that hopefully won't be very destructive. So if, like me, you're interested in this subject of understanding the basics of economic policy and understanding the various decisions that central governments are making, whether it comes to printing money or the decisions in terms of how to use that money and perhaps even the future of the U.S. and their position as global superpower and whether that is going to be sustained or if China is going to overtake them. If you're interested in these subjects, I highly recommend this book. One thing worth noting is the book is quite dense. There's a lot of data and there's a lot of graphs and things like that to explore throughout the book. But Ray does an excellent job of bolding the sections that are most important. So if you choose to just kind of skim the book and just focus on those bolded sections, you can go through the book that much faster if that is your preference. Now, I consumed the book in audio format, so I finished the complete content, then I had reference to some of the graphs and the other uh, data that was provided. But again, if you just prefer a faster look and are just trying to get a rough sense of what to expect in the future and how history might be relevant to that, then Ray does make the book relatively easy to consume 
in that kind of approach. Next on the list is How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton M. Christensen, James Allworth, and Karen Dillon. Now, this is a book that I've been intending to read for a while now. It's been sitting up on the bookshelves for probably a year or two at this point. But very recently, when I did the big studio move, where I moved this studio from its original location to this new location, I had an opportunity to go through the books in more detail and make note of some books that I really wanted to dive into sooner rather than later. And this is one of those books that made the cut. And so I was very eager to get into it this past month. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, Clayton Christensen, the lead author of this book, is widely considered to be one of the most influential people in the entire business community. He was a Harvard Business School professor and is very well known for having written The Innovator's Dilemma, widely considered to be one of the most, if not the most, influential business book out there. It's had a huge impact in terms of how businesses think about dealing with upstart competitors where those new upstarts tend to have a very different incentive structure for chasing new innovative technologies that can eventually disrupt the larger, more well-established businesses. So if you're interested in that, I definitely recommend that you check out The Innovator's Dilemma. But in this book, Clayton Christensen and his co-authors really focus on tackling almost a cliche challenge of people that are very successful in business, where they do very well when it comes to their career and their finances and perhaps even grow a very successful business only to discover in their 50s, their 60s, maybe their 70s, that they've paid a really high price for that success. Either, as in some cases, they end up in jail for having dealt with fraud or things like that, or in other cases, they just have no relationships with their kids or perhaps even got divorced from their spouse. Their life just kind of fell apart, and that was the price that they paid for business success. He actually talks about in the book having got together with his classmates from Harvard, I believe it was, when they got together as an alumni group. Jeff Skilling of Enron, who is, of course, he went to prison for his role in the Enron scandal. He was part of his alumni in terms of who he was in school with back in his days in Harvard. And there were other members of this class that kind of went through this, uh, perhaps a lighter version of that, where again, they had business success. They didn't end up in prison, but they didn't have a good relationship with their kids or their spouse, etc. This kind of cliche scenario. And so in this book, Clayton Christensen, again, with his co-authors, really tackled this subject from the perspective of business strategy and business frameworks and business concepts. And they take those ideas and they apply them to the challenge of living a more effective life. And by that, I mean making sure that by the end of your life, you didn't pay this ultimate price and you were able to achieve success while still maintaining the things that are ultimately, in many cases, far more important than just achieving business success. So if you're interested in ensuring that while you are trying to be successful in business, you don't pay this ultimate price of missing out in other critical aspects of your life. If you're looking for a better sense of how to gain deeper purpose and meaning in your life while also still being successful in many different ways, then I highly recommend you consider picking up a copy of How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton M. Christensen, James Allworth, and Karen Dillon. Next on the list is The Deficit Myth. Modern Monetary Theory and the Birth of the People's Economy by Stephanie Kelton. 
Now, continuing on with my recent focus on reading up on things like the economy and monetary policy and things like that, I came across this book and the title really caught my eye and it really kind of challenged the way that I've traditionally thought about debt and just seemed very interesting. It was a very, very well-rated book, so I decided to pick up a copy. Now, this book is interesting because it presents a very fresh and unique perspective on things like debt, inflation, unemployment, and other various factors that play an important role in how the central government or the central bank responds to various challenges and how they manage monetary policy. And one of the core concepts in this book is the idea of modern monetary theory, or MMT, which I was never really familiar with. I think I've vaguely heard about it in the past, but I had never really seen it clearly presented as an idea and then defined as it was in this book. Now, I will say, this is a very important kind of forewarning. If you are a strong fiscal conservative, or if you have never heard of modern monetary theory before, or aren't familiar with any of the challenges or counterpoints to more traditional or conservative fiscal policy, then if you read the first two or three chapters of this book, you may be very tempted to just dismiss the ideas outright. There were a number of times as I was reading through those early chapters where I was just thinking, man, if I was a strict fiscal conservative, I would be rejecting this so fast, not necessarily because the ideas aren't sound, but because the way the ideas are presented seem to be out of touch with the perspectives of someone who is more of a fiscal conservative. Now, fortunately, I was vaguely familiar with some of the underlying concepts covered in this book. I've read other books that just touched just barely enough on some of these things that it didn't seem so completely far-fetched and disconnected from reality. So the good news is I did finish the book. I got past what I, again, would describe as being some very difficult to read chapters if, for example, you're completely unfamiliar with some of these ideas you might just be very tempted to say the author's completely out to lunch here, but fortunately I made it past that stage and I just want to give you that warning so that if that happens to be your view as you read this book, that you would consider pushing through that because what I found when I got to the other end is just a very interesting and fresh perspective on some of these things, again, like inflation and growing debts and dealing with unemployment and how all of these factors kind of relate to each other. And at the end of the day, I'm clearly no expert on this subject. I don't really know yet how I feel about many of the ideas presented in the book. I definitely don't feel qualified to know whether or not all of the theory presented is sound or if there are any issues. I had some questions that I never really felt were directly addressed in the book, but weren't necessarily you know, make or break issues. But what I will say about this book, and the main reason I really enjoy reading books like this, is it challenges the conventional view, and it takes some underlying assumptions, or at least things that I've assumed in the past about how monetary policy works, and it really presents a very different picture, a completely different way of thinking about things. And again, in the early part of the book, it might feel like, well, this isn't that different, or doesn't really seem to make much sense, but as you make it through the rest of the book, it becomes a pretty compelling case. And the author is clearly very qualified. She knows what she's talking about and she makes a strong case for some bold ideas that I just never really heard before. So again, I don't really know what to make of these ideas. I don't feel qualified to know whether or not these kinds of ideas should kind of become the norm or the status quo. 
in terms of how central governments take on monetary policy, but at very least, it was very thought-provoking. And it's a book I end up recommending to one or two of my brothers and my dad as just being an interesting, thought-provoking book that kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom, or at least the way that we've traditionally looked at it in terms of how we've talked about these things in the past. So again, don't really know whether I fully agree with the ideas yet, don't really have the qualifications to go that deep, but just a really, really interesting and thought-provoking book. So if that seems interesting to you, then I highly recommend that you consider reading The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton. Last but not least, we have The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life by David Brooks. Now, I forget exactly how I came across this book. I think I was just browsing Amazon and the title seemed interesting. And once I dove into the description, it seemed very relevant for the kinds of things that I've been thinking about lately and processing. So I ended up picking up a copy. The basic idea behind this book is kind of taking a look at life from the perspective of two different mountains or two different journeys that successful people often find themselves on. Now, the first mountain is the mountain of individual success. So we leave school, we start a career, we aim for traditional achievements, trying to make our mark on the world, trying to achieve financial success, maybe business success, maybe become famous or popular, whatever it is that so many people today really value when it comes to cultural norms and the individual successes that we chase. And then, as the title of the book suggests, there is this second mountain. And what typically happens is once somebody achieves success in this first approach, they reach the peak of the first mountain, what often happens is they're unfulfilled. They achieved everything they set out to achieve, but they then realize it wasn't really what they were after all along. And that's when they identify, in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, they suddenly realize that there is this second mountain that may in fact be more purposeful, more meaningful, and more fulfilling to pursue. And so where the first mountain is really focused on individual success and achievement, the second mountain is all about creating an impact through commitment, whether to your family, to a vocation, to your philosophy, or perhaps to your community. So it's much less about individualistic success and more about how you can create a bigger, more meaningful, and more purposeful commitment to life and really achieve something that is more deeply meaningful. So that was kind of my main takeaway from this book or the main theme throughout the book. And it covered all kinds of different examples of how people might go about achieving this deeper sense of meaning and how they might commit themselves to something really worthwhile that is outside of themselves. Now, I will say the book went in many different directions, many of them fascinating, some of them more and some of them less relevant to me in particular, but just overall, I found it was very interesting, very inspiring, and very compelling. And it made a strong case for how, as a society today, We've almost certainly overdone it when it comes to focusing on individualistic success. Of course, the basis of North American philosophy and focusing on achievement and doing great things has been incredibly powerful. It's very key factor when it comes to the success of countries like the United States and others. And yet, there's this growing sense, and I think the author makes a very strong case, that we've kind of overdone that. 
And there are these other pursuits. There is this second mountain that for many people delivers a much more meaningful and deep sense of purpose and satisfaction. So if that seems like something you'd be interested in learning more about, then I highly recommend that you consider picking up a copy of The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Anyway, those are the five books that I completed in February 2022. If you enjoyed this video, if you want further updates like this again in the future, click the like button, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications.